Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear saints, shortly after the flood, in which the Lord uh, wipes away the, the evil of the world, he preserves Noah and his family, eight souls in all. Just a few generations later, the people are back at it again. Here they are trying to erect a monument to themselves, not a monument to the Lord, not a monument uh, uh, remembering the Lord's mercy and preserving Noah, uh, a monument to themselves, climbing their way into heaven. Now, there's a bit of an irony uh, in the text that you, you blink and you miss it, but the Lord has to come down to view this great structure that the people of Babel are building. It's kind of like uh, the, the kid that's in the middle of the living room and he's built this like five-foot tower of Legos and he's like, Mom, Dad, come come look at this giant tower that I built. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's nice. Good job. But it's not some great, magnificent structure. And just like the Tower of Babel, it's not as great as the builders think that it actually is. And part of this is it's, it's, a, uh, it's a reflection of themselves. It's a reflection of their own idolatry. They're, they're constructing it not to God, not for God, not toward God, but entirely internally, entirely toward themselves. And in the background of this is their own pridefulness, their, their, their own thinking that they, they can take care of whatever needs to be done. And so God recognizes this. He says um, that they're united and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible. And they may not sound like a bad thing initially, but in the context of what's happening here where they are uh, they're entirely self-absorbed. Doing whatever they want to do is not going to be a good thing. There, there's kind of a reflection of this uh, towards at the end of the book of um, uh, Judges, when all the judges are, are gone from the land of Israel, and it says everybody uh, did what was right in their own eyes. Um, that, that's not a favorable statement that the Lord is making there. And the same sort of thing is occurring here. Whatever they propose to do will be uh, nothing they propose to do will be impossible. They will be able to do whatever they want. But what they want is not directed towards God. And it's not even directed towards one another. It's all, it's all this selfish, prideful ambition. And so the Lord, in his mercy, confuses their languages and scatters them. This is something we tend to miss as we look at all these Old Testament narratives, especially towards the beginning, right at the uh, front of the book of Genesis, where what the Lord is doing uh, in, for example, casting Adam and Eve out of the garden, or flooding the world and preserving Noah and his family, or scattering the people at, Bab at Babel. All of this is done out of the Lord's mercy. He is saving them from themselves. He is, he is preserving them against their own sin. So, for example, Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden prior to eating of the tree of life so that they would not eat and live forever in their sin in their separation from God and one another. 
They need to be reconciled before they can dwell for eternity in life and instead of in death. Same thing with the flood, same thing with Babel. This is for the people's own good. And just like when we discipline our own children, and our children don't receive that discipline as something that is good, but something that they don't really like all that much, and then they grow up and have kids that are their own and realize what was being done. The same thing for us. When the Lord disciplines us, we often don't receive it the way we ought to. And it's no different from the people of the Tower of Babel. They're scattered, and there's certainly a great amount of animosity that, is, that has occurred towards the Lord. But the Lord does this for their good, and he will undo it. That the people will not be cursed forever. And so about 2,200 years later, we find ourselves in the upper room with the disciples gathered after the Lord's ascension, and the Holy Spirit comes down as tongues of fire upon the disciples, and they began to speak in other languages. Uh, this is, we should remember, the, the reason why there's all these people there, uh, the Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia, this whole big giant group. And if you look at a map, it's all over the place is this is one of the three pilgrimage festivals. So you have the, the three festivals throughout the year that uh, if you were a Jew, you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem. You couldn't worship at, your, uh, at the local temple. You had to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, these are the, uh, the festival of the weeks, the festival of the booths or the tabernacles, and the festival of the atonement, or what we, we know as Yom Kippur. Um, this is uh, the three times that they're there. This is the Feast of Weeks that the people are there gathered, what becomes the festival of Pentecost. And so everybody's gathered there from all, all over the place. And so in order to undo the curse of Babel, the Lord, instead of remerging all the languages back together, the Lord takes his gospel and he spreads it out. So that the people start speaking in languages they didn't know. They start speaking in Mesopotamian, for example. All these, these men from Galilee who had never learned Mesopotamian start speaking the gospel, the mighty works of God in Mesopotamian and in all the other languages that are present there. So that now, immediately, you have not only 3,000 added to the number of the church that day, but that 3,000 gets scattered out into all this area, and the church immediately is, is planted across the entirety of the continent. This is the Lord's undoing of the curse that he put on Babel. The uh, now the people are, again, there, there's an interesting parallel. The people are again scattered from Jerusalem, but not under a curse, but now under the gospel, under the proclamation of the good gifts of God, under the proclamation especially that Jesus, the Messiah, has come as promised, that he has lived for them, that he has died for them, that he has been raised for them, that he has sent for them, and that he's coming back for them. This whole entirety of the work of Christ. And all of this is what Jesus has promised is going to happen. Uh, we've been sitting in this, in fact, for the, like the last five weeks of the church year, this whole section from John 14 through 16, Jesus promising the coming of the Holy Spirit, promising this day in the church's life, what, what we call the, the birthday of the New Testament church. So Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All these promises we've been hearing the last few weeks all come to a head here. Jesus ascends, and as he promises, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the, uh, the Defense Attorney, the one who stands beside us, this one comes and gives all of the good gifts of God to the church. He gives, he takes what, is, what belongs to Jesus and what belongs to the Father, and he gives those things to us. And if you connect that back to what we have in our gospel reading today, you see that the chief thing that the Holy Spirit is giving to us, like we talked about last week, is his words. Not the Holy Spirit's own words, but the words of Christ, the words of the Father, that these are all the same speaking. This is why he's called the Spirit of Truth. He doesn't speak his, make up something on his own. He speaks what is from the divine counsel, the, the Holy Trinity, this unified speaking of God to us and telling us what is true and what is false, how are we, we are to live our lives, and all the great and wonderful promises that the Lord has given to us through the work of Christ. This is, this is what then forms our unity. This is what makes up the church. Now, there's a temptation to think that it is, is doctrine. You, you hear this fairly regularly. Doctrine, uh, teaching, true teaching, uh, is what divides, because we're going to hold each other to a particular standard of what we have to believe. And that, that's not true. It is sin that refuses to believe the words of the Spirit, the words of the Scriptures, that divides us. Sin is always the divisive thing. Even at Babel, the thing that, that separates the people at Babel is not at its core the confusion of their languages. That is a product of their own sinfulness and trying to erect this monument to their own glory. Their, their own sinfulness, born from the fall, is ultimately what caused their scattering because what the fall does is it breaks our two fundamental relationships. It breaks our vertical relationship with God so that Adam and Eve are caught hiding in the bushes with the devil instead of being unified to God, and it breaks their relationship with another so that they stand before one another in shame. Th those are the two immediate consequences of the fall. That, that is the consequences of our sin, that we are separated from God and from, an, from one another. This is the thing that disunifies us. And so in order to be reunified, because this corruption is so deep within us and so prevalent, that unity has to come from outside of us. It cannot be something that we create ourselves. If we try and create our own unity, it will inevitably fail. If we try and create our own unity on something outside of the truth of God's word, it will fail. And history has borne this out. But what is so wonderful is that the Lord doesn't leave it to us. This, this, isn't, this isn't our church. This is the Lord's church. And he has given a number of promises to that. 
He has said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He says, I will build my church. I will preserve my church. I will teach my church. And when we remember that the church is also the bride of Christ, this makes a lot of sense. The Lord doesn't abandon his bride. The Lord doesn't send his bride out to go and just kind of figure out things on her own. The Lord gives every good gift to his bride and takes care of her, preserves her, and brings her with him into the blessed wedding banquet of eternity. And that's what we have. That's what the Lord has blessed us with. He gives us the scriptures, the spirit of truth, so that we are bound to one another through this external word that all of us can look at and say, yes, I too believe that. That I will sacrifice my own ideas about things and trust in the Lord and trust in the Spirit more than I trust in myself. That I will relinquish the, the control that I think I have of this life and let the Lord deal with it, as he's promised. Because Christ gives us the Spirit, and because the Spirit gives to us the words of the Father and the words of Christ, we have a unity that is so deep and profound in that, that as Jesus has said, even the gates of hell, even all the forces of the devil and all of his angels cannot break through that. Neither can the world. Neither can our own sinful flesh. Nothing can prevail against that unity, against that truth. It is impermeable. And that's what the Lord has placed around his church, and that's what he's doing at Pentecost. And God be praised, he is still doing that. This is the other trap with, with Pentecost. We think that this is a one-time thing and now it's over. No, the Holy Spirit has not left his church. The Holy Spirit is still here working, doing all the things that the Lord has promised that he's going to do. He's still giving us the words of Christ and the words of the Father. He's still giving us all the things that belong to Jesus and that belong to the Father. He's still giving us every good and gracious gift that comes down from above. He's still giving us everything that we need. He's still building his church. He's still preserving it. He's still bringing it into the blessed resurrection. It may not always look the way we want it to look, and that's fine, because it's not ours anyway. The Lord's going to do with it what he pleases, but he will not abandon it. We are, dear saints, not just a Christmas people, or a Holy Week, Good Friday people, or a, or a Easter people, or an Ascension people. We are also a Pentecost people. We are bound to all of the work of God that he is constantly doing for us. A people who are always under the work of the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Right, right after Pentecost, Peter preaches this great sermon, and we didn't read it today, maybe next year. Uh, and right after that, we get this great text on the unity of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is the Lord's description of the church, and God be praised, it is the Lord's description even of the church in this place. 
And we should thank God for that, that he continues to do this work for us, that he continues to fight against our own selfishness and fight against our worldliness and fight against the devil who's trying to destroy everything. And he continues to give us these words, this truth to bind us together, that we come in our weakness, we come in our confusion, we come in our sin and this brokenness, and the Holy Spirit comes along with these words of truth, and he binds us together and he makes us holy. He sets us apart for his own good work of continuing this this preaching of the church to all nations. And here we are, the product of that work. We're, we're not in Jerusalem, in case you didn't know. We're not speaking Hebrew, in case you didn't know. We're in the middle of the United States, speaking English a couple thousand years later. That is the continued work of the Holy Spirit, to take the gospel, to put it into other languages and start spreading it across time and space so that it even can go across a continent, across an ocean, halfway across another continent, and into Lawrence, Kansas, and that you can come and hear this and be joined to each other and be joined to Christ, undoing not only the curse of Babel, but the curse of the fall, until he delights to bring you into the eternity of his resurrection to dwell with all the saints that have heard the same words and have been bound to the same truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.